Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome to episode 70 of the Reliability Matters podcast. Today's episode is a little different from past ones. Normally, I don't get into specific products with my guests. Rather, we discuss best practices within a specific part of the electronic assembly process. I have another show where we discuss specific products within the electronic assembly space. That show is called Innovations in Technology. The debut episode, which debuted today, of Innovations in Technology featured a conversation with the co-founder of a company which engineered a truly innovative, even disruptive technology, which I believe will eventually change the way we think about printed circuit board fabrication. So today I stole the tapes from the other show's debut episode and I'm featuring it as an episode on Reliability Matters. In fact, this episode. I'm confident you'll find this conversation fascinating. So. Here's episode 70 of the Reliability Matters podcast, which is also episode one of the Innovations and Technology podcast. Enjoy. I'll see you soon. My guest today is Amit Dror, co-founder and customer success officer for Nano Dimension Limited. Amit served as Nano Dimension's chief executive officer from 2014 to 2019. Nano Dimension has produced a product which arguably can be described as a true disruptive force within the electronic assembly space. We're all experienced with inkjet printers. Inkjet nozzles travel from left to right, back and forth over a sheet of paper. And when the printing process has been completed, out shoots a sheet of paper with text or images deposited on the paper surface. Now imagine a different type of printer. Instead of four color ink cartridges, there are two basic inks, one a dielectric ink and the other a silver-based conductive ink. The print heads travel back and forth, and when the printing process is finished, out pops a multi-layer circuit board complete with vias, through holes, ground planes, and conductive traces, and even markings, ready for component placement and reflow. Need another board? Just press print again. This technology places a new meaning to printed circuit board. And this technology is available today. NanoDimension has combined 3D printing and inkjet technology to produce the first ever circuit board printer capable of printing complex multi-layer boards at the push of a button without any human interaction. Talk about lights out manufacturing. We're going to talk about all of this, this great technology, and where they see themselves in the future when I return in just a moment. Welcome back. Once again, I'm Mike Conrad, and it is my privilege and pleasure to welcome my guest today, uh, Emit Dror. Thank you for being my guest uh, from Nano Dimensions. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. We are, uh, we are time shifting today. It's 10 p.m. California time. It's 8 a.m. Israel time. We're obviously on different continents. So uh, thanks for um, uh, agreeing to get up early, and uh, I'm up late, and we'll make this work. So I wish I wish all my guests could be geographically much closer, but that's you know that's the way it is. We're a big world, and uh, and thanks for um, for um, time shifting with me. Uh, so I I did 
you know, as any good host would do, if I am a good host, uh, you know, you, we do some background research. And I went on YouTube, one of my favorite channels for finding out what's going on with companies. And I, I was researching Nano Dimension. And about at least, at least 90% of all, and there's a lot of material on your company uh, out there. And most of it has to do with your stock. I guess many consider uh, your company to have a hot stock. And we're not a stock program. I'm not smart enough to play that game. But um, uh, you do trade on the NASDAQ under NNDM. Um, so for those who do play that game, um, there's a lot of, lot of very interesting information out there uh, about your stock. But we're not going to get into that. What we're going to get into is the technology behind your product. It's not often I get to interview somebody uh, that has a what I would consider a disruptive technology. I think that is arguably what you guys are making a, a, a disruptive technology. And in in our world, in the in the high tech electronic assembly space, there's not a lot of revolution that's going on. It's mostly evolution. We're making basically the same products we've had since the 70s or 80s, just smaller, faster, cheaper, better, more accurate, things like that. Um, your product in this application, as far as I can tell, has never been done before, at least not that I can, I can find. Um, so I think it definitely qualifies as kind of a rare, in these days, revolutionary technology. So we want to get into that. But first, um, why don't you explain to my, my audience um, what Nano Dimensions is all about, and then we can get into um, the product that, uh, that you make. Great. So Nano Dimension has taken the dream of probably many of us, which is to 3D print different types of electronics. And that makes it revolutionary because our focus started with PCBs. The idea was going back to day one that pretty much every electronics engineer could upload a design file, make it a Gerber, Exelon, STL, and just be able to print it, you know, in-house, in his office, in a way. And I'm referring, of course, to complex, multi-layer PCBs. That's where it all started. And that started about seven or maybe already eight years ago. And today, what Nana Dimension is doing is pretty much executing on that dream, which is transforming the electronics manufacturing and hopefully the whole industry from the traditional um, classic making of, of PCBs and, and other components into something that adopts this disruptive technology of 3D printing. Now, 3D printing, my, my view of 3D printing is very, very basic. And uh, I've seen a few 3D printers that, you know, take quite a bit of time building layer upon layer upon layer of, of generally uh, plastic type materials to form a widget of, of some sort, right? Um, you've taken that to kind of the next level. So that when I look at uh, printed circuit boards being fabricated, traditionally, um, they use, you know, laminate materials, like an FR4 or something, something like that. Uh, there's a lot of metal plating going on. There's a lot of uh, uh, pressure going on to squeeze these laminates together. There's a lot of components to it. It's it's kind of a dirty business. Uh, it, Absolutely, it, it's lots of chemicals and and hazards and things like that. Um, and and you've changed that. Now, the problem if I have a a product that I'm going to make ten of, or one of, or two of, 
then traditional circuit board fabrication becomes very expensive because the, the world has turned circuit boards into a commodity, basically. And everyone's talking about how many tens of thousands of boards that they can make in you know, X number of, of days, and usually in lands far, far away, uh, where quality is a little uh, out of reach. Uh, quality control might be a little bit out of reach. Uh, and, and I know, at least in, in North America, uh, while there are board fab shops still here in North America, the majority, overwhelming majority, are, are in Asia, um, mostly China and, and some other places uh, where the labor rates are, are much lower. Um, and that poses a problem. I, I own a manufacturing company. We build equipment for the electronic assembly industry. And, and you know, we sell, I don't know, two or 300 machines a year. And, uh, you know, getting boards made is always, is always a, a, a dilemma because it's cheaper to get more made than you need and throw the rest away than it is to, you know, find a, you know, like a proto shop to, to make small quantities. So, uh, and our technology changes. So our boards go obsolete before we can even use up the supply. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that printing a board may be on one hand a little slower, you know, if you wanted to print a thousand versus getting a thousand fabricated traditionally. Uh, but, but, uh, tell me what some of the advantages are with, uh, 3d printing a circuit board, you know, compared to the traditional, um, methods of doing it. Um, so first I'd like to comment on what you just mentioned and I think it's very important to acknowledge that manufacturing independence is a key element that any company needs to take into consideration the world is changing and the independence is not just about commodities the world is moving into more sophisticated more customized solutions um, just by looking I'll just throw some examples into the air um, if we think about all those smart cars, smart houses, smart devices, then sure, we could get an Apple or a Samsung, but what about all those new innovative companies that try to enter the market and they want to enter the market with a thousand pieces or 5,000 pieces? They have a dilemma. They don't know how to enter the market. And we believe that by using advanced technology that offer this new approach of um, high mix, low volume at a fair price, we could make a change. So that's just in principle about how we foresee the changes in the market. And Mike, we're not the only one because the whole concept of industry 4.0 and in principle, the whole concept of you know, there are different names to it, but say distributed manufacturing, let's make sure that we have the capacity and the capabilities required in order to manufacture sophisticated devices close to the customer. That is something that is being promoted and pushed throughout all the advanced, um, say, Western countries, whether it's the US, Germany and, and others. So that's just in comment to what you said before. Now, referring to the other point you mentioned about the different materials and the different steps that we're all familiar with, then, yeah, you know, when you think of a factory, you have FR4, you have copper, you have all those chemicals that are being normally washed uh, 
say if that would be in in some foreign country it could be that these materials would actually be washed into the rivers right and and um drilling and plating and uh you know i can go on and on because there's so many steps to get things sophisticated um so with that in mind i'd like to say a few words about how does our technology works the whole concept of 3d printing or additive manufacturing is based on putting one layer on top of the other and what nano dimension did was to find out which are those unique materials that can supply the properties that could help companies create devices whether you would like to call them pcbs we we call them hypeds high performance electronic devices because they're not identical to PCB. They actually have some differences and some advantages. Um, and um, for example, our Dragonfly system, which is out there in the market with many US customers, can print conductive ink, which is based on silver and a dielectric material, which is, you know, um, parallel to FR4 has very similar properties. And we know how to process these materials in a very accurate manner. Something that goes to an accuracy of traces of about three or three and a half mil, right? 75 microns. And with that level of resolution, we could actually support creation of PCBs and other devices to a level of three millimeters and sometimes even up to 50 different layers if that would be a, a normal PCB. Now, to the comment of uh, drilling and holes and plating, um, think about it, Mike. You don't have to pay for the holes because we just don't print them. <laughs> so, you know, we're building up the holes as we print the surface. Yeah, that, you know, before I, I want to dive into the advantages of not drilling, because that actually, I, I'm in the cleaning business, and we have okay. a phenomenon called, you know, conductive anodic filament, which is a result of drilling damage that creates these little micro cracks that the plating solutions, another thing you probably don't need, uh, gets in there, and, and we form um, basically dendritic growth between the layers of the board, which creates parasitic leakage or, or outright short. So before we go down that, hole, so to speak. Um, let me just back up a little bit. Your technology actually prints an entire circuit board, for lack of a better name for it, um, including the dielectric material and the conductive material. So you're basically printing the, the substrate and you're printing the traces that go within the layers of that substrate and on the surface of that substrate. That's correct? That is absolutely correct. Okay, so in the world of, of traditional boards, we'd use a laminate, you know, an FR4 or something similar. What is the material, the hard material, that would be the equivalent of the, of the, of the laminate uh, that, you're, that you're printing with? And, and is that um, an ink over ink over ink over ink over ink to give it rigidity and, and, and structure? Or is it uh, some kind of plastic material like you would see in traditional 3D printing? Tell me how that, that process works. So um, that material would be ink, which we've developed, and it's like an acrylate polymer that was developed 
with the purpose to answer two needs. One, of course, the dielectric properties required. Secondly, to withstand the thermal properties required because later on that um, board would need to go onto um, soldering or some kind of oven, right, to do the soldering. So it can't really be just a standard uh, plastic for that matter that would melt. Uh, and we've developed that material as well as the other material, which is the um, conductive nano-silver-based ink. Also, um, a unique, a very unique material that we're using while both material within the printer are kept as liquid, basically inks, and are printed. Okay, at the moment we're using inkjet technology and we are considering to expand on more technologies as we look forward, but inkjet technology at the moment enables us to print these two very different materials almost simultaneously. One drop falls next to the other and the printer, the system, knows how to cure them in order to get them solid as well as to sinter the sintering process of the nanosilver um, parts in order to melt them and to create a full solid trace. The, the whole term inks just confuses me because, you know, when I think of ink, I think of it, not a structural material, you know, I, th I think of a very thin material that sits on top of some other material, performs a contrast, and, and then you can read something. That's how I think of ink. Um, in order to get a rigid uh, surface, um, the, the board itself, the dielectric uh, board itself, how many layers of ink are required to form, you know, a traditional, you know, I don't know, at 62, whatever it is, a uh, thickness uh, board. Is, is, is that thousands of layers? Is it hundreds of layers? What, what, what's involved? So that, is, that is an excellent question and excellent point. Um, think of silver. It would be pretty difficult to use a filament. Uh, we're actually building up the nanosilver particles from scratch. We're building them from a molecule level. We keep them extremely small. And to answer your question, we end up with thousands of layers. So that process takes hours to build a board. Having said that, looking into the future, the print area grows. So the good thing with much of the printing technology is that you could relatively easily scale it up and you could put multiple print heads one next to the other in order to increase the throughput. Um, yep. And, and how many print heads in, in your Dragonfly system, for example, how many print heads are, are traditionally part of, of that system? Yeah, yeah, well, it's funny to use it's funny to use the, the term traditionally when something is so innovative. Well, but that's true. <laughs> there, there's nothing traditional about your product. So in a normal in a production system that you sell to a customer. Um, so how many print heads? Here's the thing with the Dragonfly, there are two print heads, but each one has several hundreds of nozzles. So uh, you know, in a, differently to a dispenser based um, a printer of any kind, when using inkjet technology, then one head actually includes hundreds of separate tiny nozzles, each one 
can jet accurately at a very uh, you know different position because the, the printhead moves through the the printing right the axes are moving um so at the moment the dragonfly has two print heads each one with several hundreds of uh nozzles okay that makes it multiple uh you know jetting at the same time and you know looking into the future we actually um are working on increasing that and having multiple print heads and that would make it thousands of nod nozzles for each one of the materials and that will obviously speed up the entire process correct so th that's that's a very important point the innovation uh and the and the achievements we've made with the uh call it entry-level product which is the dragonfly family um well we had to go through some hurdles in order to overcome challenges but from that moment and on at least some aspects of our coming development are more on the engineering side because um inkjet technology is well used on the on the uh you know more common printing industry where they just print uh you know different different colors and paint for for uh uh, other purposes that is more of an engineering challenge that we feel very comfortable with the, the scaling up of the system the more um, interesting part of our development is always on the innovation side how do we develop more materials better materials how do we end up with a system um, in principle that can do more than printing for example the dragonfly can print, um, you know, multi-layer PCB. Okay, it can also print, by the way, other elements which are traditionally more difficult to create. For example, we could print as part of the PCB an RF antenna or a coil, and we could even print, for that matter. A coil which is on the 3d level like a cone of a coil and we're doing things like that our customers are doing things like that that makes it much more than a pcb okay right next challenge a next challenge would be okay at the moment you create that unique device but when it comes to solder the other components you know whatever chip or or um other element you need to connect at the moment, it could either be done manually or you could use a, a soldering um, reflow oven by basically placing the components, put it in the reflow oven. But what if you could have the whole process done on the same line, say having a robotic arm that is doing the pick and place for you? That would definitely improve the yield because, you know, you take one one uh, printed part and you move it to a different system or you, you handle things manually. Um, obviously, it's possible. We're, we're, we're all doing it. But when we look into the future, we foresee something that is more, uh, how should I put it, more autonomous. Think of a company, you know, maybe like yours that requires to have a few hundreds of pieces, but you also need to make sure that you reach the level of uh, uh of course quality right and to do that you would feel more comfortable 
having a system that is doing all different steps at once or one after the other rather than having a manual involvement of um, a technician or an engineer. And this is where we're going. We're going into the world of kind of autonomous systems, uh, maybe not 100%, and definitely by implementing integration of additional technologies that go beyond printing. But we're definitely in the process of getting, getting the world of electronics manufacturing something that is even more complete. Yeah, you, you refer to the machine as lights out manufacturing. I hear, I hear that term all the time. Um, and I actually haven't really come across anything that's truly lights out at this point. Um, but, but this definitely is very close to that, if not hitting that mark. Um, uh, how much user interve intervention is required once someone pushes the print button and uh, do they just walk away and come back hours or days later? Or, you know, how much um, is an operator required to monitor the process or is it truly at least that portion of the of the uh, fabrication process lights out. So I think that that was the key for us to use this, uh, you know, LDM or lights out digital manufacturing because, you know, um, obviously the first product that came out really required babysitting day and night, and it became clear to us by you know our customers saying. We love the technology, but you know it really takes too much effort. Just being there and maybe wiping the printheads every few hours, and, and maybe checking things every few days, and and we don't get to benefit the weekends because you know people don't want to stay around the machine on the weekend. They want to go out fishing. And um, what we did, <laughs> you know, moving from the previous Dragonfly, the first version, to the LDM, was to um, create all the relevant subsystems that are actually doing these things automatically, whether it's the, uh, you know, cleaning of the printheads, washing them automatically, whether it's um, uh, monitoring more effectively, and I know altogether increasing the quality. And, and, and what I'm trying to say here, you know, other than answering your question is that I want to give credit to some of our competitors because there are other companies out there that are also doing AME technology, additively manufacturing electronics. Some of them are using different technologies. And this is an exciting world. I mean, there is no doubt the world of electronics manufacturing is evolving. Um, well, just like the rest of manufacturing world all over. The difference with Nana Dimension is that what we had in mind on day one was not just the tech innovation. And we said this company, at least we hoped, let's say, we said, yeah, well, <laughs> we hope that this company is not going to be just about innovative projects, improving of technology. The vision, the horizon we had in mind is that we want to actually lead changes in how electronics is made and it did take quite a few years i mean we've been around for seven almost eight years but uh now we're actually starting to see that um happening because you know seeing those devices 
and reaching the level of quality, repeatability. And, and, and well, I hope you're going to ask him a few more questions about other things we're doing soon. But, but it's really exciting for me as a co-founder that was there on day one and, you know, and well, hey, we were pretty naive back then, you know. <laughs> He said, every engineer should just have a printer. What's the big deal? Just right. have one. Right. Just, well, you know, it's just get simple, it. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what were some of the differences between the original Dragonfly uh, and the one you're producing today? Um, fairly, I should say, quality. Just, you know, it's, it's a different ballgame. And second thing is the understanding that it's not just about PCB. You know, our whole industry is based on the fact that in or today, right, that in order to connect a few parts together, you got to have a board. You know, it could be a small one, could be a simple one. But, I mean, we're not going to take a PCB and a memory chip and we're just going to wire them one to the other, right? We're always going to have, no matter what, a board. But here's the thing, Mike. The whole concept of printed circuit boards, which are, flat i mean hey i say pcb you say pcb we imagine the same thing right it's that flat square with pretty straight lines sharp angles in the corner of those traces right and you know that that would be a bare board and then thinking of of a populated board we would also imagine a few chips right soldered on top of that pcb now honestly mike this is just because of limitations. If I said there is no PCB, it's for us to invent how we want things to be, it would look different, right? Uh, I'll give you a very simple example. A mouse that you're using, say that you're using your lap, uh, computer and you have a mouse. Well, it would be rounded, right? Uh, ergonomically set for your hand but you know and i know if you open that device Boards what will flat. we see inside yeah flat, right that doesn't make any sense that's not effective that's not efficient and that's a very simple example things are flat because today the effective way to produce a multi-layer circuit would be using pcb and we have learned and we've learned that from our customers that the biggest advantage of nanodimension solution at the moment is not about PCB. I mean, you could get a PCB. I mean, sure, you'd rather have it next door, but hey, you could get it for effective cost. And you know what? You would probably get a better quality PCB from a half billion dollar factory than you would from a half million dollar system, right? still but what you would find pretty hard to get from a pcb factory is a unique device and let me invent something on the fly okay something that is shaped like um, half a ball or maybe like an eiffel tower that has the components not soldered on top no they're just uh like an like a multi-chip model, they're just like packed inside that device that you've created. And you know, um, 
you're not going to have the pads just on top of that device. You're going to have pads all over uh, on, on the sides. You're going to have them on different angles. And, in, and, and that device of yours, Mike, would really be effective because you're not going to be limited to straight lines. So maybe just connecting one corner to the other would become more effective for you if that trace, so to speak, would go Di diagonally, but not even straight. It would go like, uh, like in a in a in a loop, from one quarter to the other, because you're also going to have a printed antenna within that device, and you would want to make sure that there is no uh, noise or or other elements, uh, magnetic uh, influences on that antenna. So, is that science fiction? Well, Mike, no, it's not. We're doing things like that. You could take today a design of this hybrid creature I just invented, which which could, you know, no. I mean, you could also make that, obviously, in more traditional method. It would only take you uh, multiple steps, right? You, you, you will create a simple PCB, and you will have someone creating for you, um, you know, maybe with a mold, I don't know, maybe with other methods, this shape. And you will be able to get the shape of antenna that you wanted and in a good assembly house that has specialty capabilities would figure out how to uh, stitch all these different elements together for you. You can have that. You know what? Some of our defense customers are doing things like that and they did things like that before we came along. But what if you could, you know, take designs of a CAD design and an ECAD, a Gerber file. And, and what if you could merge those designs together on the design level, Mike, okay? And maybe even have the element of, call it MCAD with the elements, print that. Um, and, and, and now I'm looking a little bit into the future because there are some things we still cannot do. But within that creation and the, 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 this printing of that device, you embed the components and continue the printing moving forward, okay? Sure. Something now, that you could never do in a at, traditional fab place, shop. Outside of the pick and place part, we're doing new things now. Yeah, that's fascinating. What can't be done with it? Well, first of all, let me, let me back up a little bit. I think the term printed circuit board applies way more to your technology than the way traditionally boards are made because there's the word printed. I don't, I don't know where printed comes from because it's, it's really etching and, you know, and all it, it plating and all that uh, printing printed circuit board. I mean, you guys took that term literally and you are literally printing a circuit board. Um, so I think the, 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 the PCB uh, acronym applies more to your product than traditional but the traditional people grabbed it first so so yeah, exactly they they have it so when people think <laughs> of printing circuit board there's nothing printing about it but uh, um what are some of the things that your technology your dragonfly system cannot do that a more traditional form of of printed circuit board uh, fabricators can do is there is there any are there any limitations right now um so at the moment there are limitations for example, throughput. There is no way a device like ours could compete with the speed 
of, of uh, proper PCB manufacturing. Um, other aspects refer to, uh, let me think of, of, of things that, that are crucial. Well, the price, the price, Mike. At the moment, we're using for the conductive material, silver. And the reason we're using silver is that when you go to nanoparticles, in order to in order to to maintain the material the way that you want, especially when you print them and you center them, still copper is not there yet. I mean, it's it's getting there, but it's not there yet. And unfortunately, silver is, I think, like a hundred times and maybe even more expensive um, comparing to copper. So our devices, if you think of simple boards would always be more expensive. The materials are more expensive. Well, luckily, um, the cost in the world of PCBs is not based just on the cost of materials. It's highly based on setup cost and, and other uh, elements. So we can give a fight where it, when it comes to high mix, very low volume at the moment. But well, that's a big limitation, right? Because in principle, the technology should apply to more. But in order to do that, uh, we are required to uh, improve our materials and step into additional materials, which are at a lower cost, improve our uh, throughput, which is obviously, you know, nothing nearby uh, existing technologies. So. I guess these are the most, um, th these are the key, the key differences where the traditional technology has at the moment big advantages. Right. But we will get there. Well, any brand new technology, particularly a disruptive force technology, generally starts off more expensive and then works its way down as it scales and as evolution within that revolutionary product takes place. It sounds like uh, throughput can be remedied by you know, the next gen and next gen and next gen machine with more and more and more nozzles, right? Then you can, you can print faster. Um, I would imagine you guys are probably hard working on a way to print copper or, you know, a cheaper conductive material uh, other than silver. Is that, is that possible or you, is it just not there yet? It is possible. And some level of proof of concept was done successfully, um, but it's not there yet in the meaning of, the quality, the repeatability, the conductivity that you get at the moment. Um, having said that, at the moment, we focus on more of the high-end solutions needed in the market. And surprisingly, we see more and more of those. Um, I'll give you a few examples. The need for, um, say, um, system in package or, or multi-chip models, you see quite a lot of uh, solutions in the market or, or products for that matter that turn to um, silicon. They actually use different types of silicon manufacturing in order to come with an effective, um, you know, the part. And that, you know, the setup cost of, of having uh, so something in, in, the, in the semis industry done for you. So it's it's a big it's a high barrier, and and we believe that these are areas where um, to begin with we could offer this advantage of uh, 
better cost, simply better cost. High mix, low volume, um, pretty fast and, and low cost. So that, and um, what else, what else? Well, we have some barriers. I mentioned, for example, the fact we don't do yet um, pick and place. That is a big deal, that is a big deal. Um, and I would like to throw in another thing that we have just stepped into. At Nano Dimension, we highly and, and really strongly believe in artificial intelligence. So something we've just done recently, we, we acquired the technology, we acquired a company, DeepQ, but it's really about their technology of deep learning. We believe that improving the effectiveness of different steps on creating a solution mm -hmm. is crucial in order to move forward, whether it's with the, you know, simple review of the print in real time and just, just being able to predict, is it going to succeed or not? Or, you know, what should I change in real time on, on that printer in order to make sure I improve my yield and I even get a better result than before. So that would be, you know, ba basic thing to do with, with the deep learning, artificial intelligence. So is AI, is, is AI incorporate, well, if you incorporate AI into your Dragonfly system, for example, right now your Dragonfly system takes a Gerber file or something similar and, and figures out print. the specific roadmap to, you know, what layers to print and what direction to print, you know, based on probably very, you know, common inkjet technology, you know, they, they, it, knows mm -hmm. how to, it knows how to do it. Um, how, how, give me an example of how AI can improve that process. Since you're, you're only printing what you're getting, right? You're getting a Gerber file and, or something similar and you're printing that. How, how does AI, can, can AI change the circuitry design a little bit to make it more efficient to, to print? Or where's the, where's the payoff with AI within, within so your, there are two, your system? There are two areas. There are two areas, um, and, and I'll, I'll point them out. One could be on the design level. So that would probably happen prior to starting the print. You could optimize a design by being able to analyze it and realize that tiny changes which do not even affect the design, but may change how you, how you jet the different um, uh, uh, droplets, you know, creating the voxels for that matter, uh, could optimize the print. So on the design level is one. The other one is in the real time of printing. I'll give you an example. Let's say that we recommend a range of temperatures and humidity and, and call it environmental aspects to our customers. And let's say that some customers for whichever reason have a, a defect in, in their environment and there is a, a gradual change within a print. I'm just inventing something, right? Um, those changes could affect the print. Maybe if the temperature changes, then a certain aspect of the curing should be done slightly differently. Maybe I want to add a few seconds to a certain step. Now, you could not manage that in real time unless somebody who's a real expert is monitoring the system in real time. But that does, doesn't make sense. 
um, surely we could monitor all these things, but the decisions, when you think about AI, taking the right decisions in real time is something that, um, that could be done and we believe will be done and would expedite our journey into the mainstream of manufacturing. Excellent. I'm bouncing around a little bit. I guess it, one of the interesting things about your technology is so many what would be separate processes all performed by a, a board fabricator are all done in one box. So you know, you're printing the, 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 the board material, basically. You're printing the conductive traces. You're basically printing solder masks. The vias. Because the, via, the, the vias, vias. The solder mask, the, the hole drilling, well, you don't drill the hole, right? You create them. Plating, well, it's part of the print. You want to have fulvia, you got it. Buried via, you got it. Um, as you said, uh, 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 solder mask, sure. You just print another you, layer. You just overprint, top. right? You just overprint for solder mask. Annotation, basically. you got it. Okay, tell me about uh, board markings. Uh, are you printing board markings with silver ink just because it's already loaded in the system, or are you using just regular, you know, white colored ink for for uh, board markings? At, at the moment, it's the first the first option. We just use the silver because it's in it's there. It's already there, right? Uh, you know, it could be that in the future, let's say that you you know, looking into the in the future where our systems are really the heart of manufacturing, and you want to save every cent well maybe maybe by then we're going to have another printhead that has a low cost you know simple uh, ink just to reduce cost maybe right but uh it's not really that expensive to have one layer of uh silver at the sure. moment for it doesn't the, have to conduct you know uh, lots of amps exactly. you know all that stuff um i saw an interview with your ceo um it was one of those stock price interviews so it was a financial channel yep. of some sort and um, he was saying, you know, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of capital budgets were, were frozen and your, your products are not inexpensive. Um, and, uh, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, uh, this came out, Nanos. Uh, tell me about what Nanos is, is all about. Okay, so let's say that you and I talk and you have this amazing design, something extremely unique that you would not even consider doing in, in conventional, uh, traditional uh, uh, way, okay? Uh, and you learn that nanodimensions, AME technology could actually do that for you, but you're not in position or not, you know, don't have the will to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to buy a system, but still you would love to give it a try, right? And if that would cost you whatever, $3,000, you would say, you know what? I really want to have it. Then this is what Nanos is for. Just give us a call and we, you know, get one of our application engineers on the call with you. And you guys get to discuss that design of yours and how to optimize it. And then we just print it for you. Nanos stands for uh, Nano Dimension Services, like a service bureau of all the things you wanted to do, but you just couldn't. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. I, I think one of the advantages to produce a board in-house is, you know, I'm a big believer in, it's a bit Pollyannish, but I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, buy and build where you sell, right? Uh, I, we try and source yeah. all of our products 
from North America when that's it's not always possible. But the majority of our products are sourced locally. We actually pay more to buy locally because we just believe in, you know, creating an economy, you know, in, in the world we live in, yeah. right? Buy, buy next door. If you can't buy next door, buy the next state. If you can't buy the next state, buy the, the next country. But, but start locally um, and then work yourself out. But I think in, in your case, there is, besides that, there is also a great advantage strategically um, because I can see a lot of military type um, or highly proprietary um, uh, sensitive technology that is always problematic when they source out, you know, the, the board to be made, you know, there's non-disclosures that have to be signed and, and there's always concern, you know, particularly with some of the countries that are known to produce the majority of the boards with intellectual property theft and, and all of that. So I would imagine all that is, is remedied if, if they can, um, you know, produce the board behind closed doors within their own facility, then that the concern about, you know, IP theft and, and other things along the, those same lines are eliminated because they're all done in-house. Besides the advantage of low quantity uh, production um, or, or high uh, mix, low volume production, there's also a, a, an inherent amount of security involved with, with having that all done, you know, in one black box, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, is that, was that part of the motivation as well? And are you seeing your customers, are you seeing customers like that um, uh, gravitate toward this technology for that reason? Yes. The answer is absolutely yes. And many of our customers are defense related entities and, you know, they, they're pretty relieved with having something that enables them to design iterate real fast in-house and come up with their, I mean, I mean normally in, in those cases of, of defense customers, it's high mix, low volume. That's what these guys are doing. And I, we see, well, you know, we see, we see that on ourselves. We see that on ourselves. Um, and especially in the US, which is our primary market, I think that probably one of the reasons why we moved our headquarters to Florida and in our you know, largest growth in uh, manpower and, and activity is in the US is also related to that. However, I would like to point out the, the previous uh, point you mentioned. You know, there is one thing about supporting the economy, which is really important, you know, I guess for every country. But there is another thing which the ecological point of view. Having things done in-house means you don't have to ship them over a plane or a ship and you really support the environment on one hand. Then the fact that you're using additive manufacturing that only uses the part that you need rather than taking a you know, big FR4 uh, a piece and start you know, uh, uh, carving it and, and then putting that into all those um, different chemicals, that is another aspect. So I think with the world um, getting greener and all of us want to have a, a clean and more, you know, better place to live in, the, the whole concept of AME, Additively Manufactured Electronics, aligns very nicely. So in a way, it comes together. Keep it in-house, keep it clean. Keep it confidential. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, you know, arguably the carbon footprint on, on 
building boards inside one box uh, within the facility that's going to use those boards is certainly much, much smaller than buying a few hundred boards, putting them on an airplane and, uh, you know, bringing them in, uh, not to mention the shipping costs involved too. Um, what caused you, well, before I ask that, you take Gerber files. Do those Gerber files have to be modified in any, in any special way um, versus the they types of files they would we just, take, we just take a standard Gerber file, but obviously they have to fit in within our design rules. So at the moment, we don't go lower than 75 microns on a trace. And our vias, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, vias of... Uh, 250 or 300 ah i'm not sure but my point is design rules. You, you, you have to you, yeah you have to work within the design rules but the gerbil file in terms of format is just a standard one mm -hmm. and actually we go beyond that because it's not just the gerbil file it's uh, excellent files it's stl files other formats of 3d which are not even common within the electronics industry because as said before we are a free form free design so we're pretty agnostic to to the to that and we can support probably most design files today yeah excellent so one day y'all woke up and said we want to create this new technology what was the genesis of that what what caused you to take something that has been so commoditized that you know very few people are complaining about you know, the traditional way to, to get a circuit board. At least they've given up complaining about it, I suppose. Um, what made you um, have the desire to, to shake up that, that paradigm? And what, what was the genesis of all this? Okay, so, you know, that takes me back probably seven or eight years ago now. Uh, I love technology, and I'm sure that you might love technology. So you probably also remember how back in 2013, say, you could see 3D printing, not for electronics, just 3D printing everywhere. It was all over the place. We're like, oh my God, you know, 3D printing is going to make my coffee in the morning. I don't know. It was all about 3D printing. And we were really, if really you could build a, If you could build that. a 3D printer that, that makes coffee, that would be, <laughs> that would be a, no, a, whole nother, a whole nother interview. I'd like to make sure someone's doing a very good quality assurance before I get that printer. But um, you do see, hey, today you see printers that print, um, you know, meat, right? You see you see things that are pretty crazy, right? It goes into biology. But again, eight years ago, everyone's talking about how 3D printers are going to manufacture everything. And it was really fascinating. And um, the other co-founders, we were four well, younger than we are today, at least, um, we <laughs> entrepreneurs. And we were thinking of, you know, what can we do in that world of 3D printing? And there is always the feeling that everything was already invented. Like, oh, what can we do? Oh, they do this, they do that. This is smaller, this is bigger. And uh, the person that was the first CTO of the company said, I think the time has come to take some advanced technologies and actually 3D print a PCB. You know, he said he, he, he had the right background. He knew a lot about uh, inkjet and also about nanomaterials. And he said, well, you know what? I strongly believe that if we, we get the right, initially we had to license some patents, right? 
related to materials and we take that technology, if we integrate it right, then every electronics engineer could actually print his own boards in-house. And we were like, wow, this is great. Let's do it. <laughs> and and what were some of the obstacles you didn't foresee that, that you know, banged you over the head one day? What? Well, I don't know if you can see the white hair that I have now. But it has quite a bit. <laughs> yes. Um, first of all, electronics manufacturing is not mechanical parts manufacturing. It's not just about the shape and size. And it was very naive of us to think that it could be in any office. That doesn't work. You have to make sure that through the printing process, the environmental conditions are met, at least within reasonable ranges. Um, you have to think about how you keep the environment clean. I mean, you know, Obviously, we have all the right standards today, and you could stand next to the machine and breathe, but what do you do with the materials that have to be filtered? So that makes it more complex. We didn't think of that on day one. Um, the cost. When you think of a printer that goes onto a desktop of a person, say, you know, that would be what? A 50K top? How much, how much money would you invest in? to something that goes on a desktop. And now it's very clear this is a serious manufacturing machine, right? You could add, you know, another zero at the, at the, at the initial price we had in mind today. So, you know, we're thinking almost, I wouldn't say consumer, but definitely professional, every desk, PCB. And today we're talking about very high mix. It's much more than a PCB, right? We're talking RF. We're talking multi-chip packaging. We're talking things like that. And and a manufacturing system. And we're talking AI in order to take next step and, and really start marching towards mainstream of electronic manufacturing. Right. I, you so talked about the... Difference and I, I, I'm not sure if it's clear enough, but the hurdles were horrible. <laughs> chemistry materials that didn't play nice and, and did what they wanted and right. you know coming up with the board just think of a board where the conductivity is totally different in every area of the board what do you do I mean like why <laughs> right yeah, <laughs> but well, we're not there now you didn't pick an easy uh, uh, no. first go um, hey if I didn't know if I didn't know the water was so deep maybe I wouldn't have jumped so I host another show on, on entrepreneurship within the EMS space. And uh, I, I think naivety is any entrepreneur's best friend, right? Because if we knew all the I risks, agree. if we knew all of the challenges, we would just choose not to do it. Like you said, if you knew the water was cold and deep, you wouldn't have jumped into it. So um, it, it, there is something to say about, you know, what we don't know uh, kind of allows us to take that big leap in, in there. Uh, what does the future hold? You talked about you know the machine with a thousand nozzles. I can see that that scale. Um, any other uh, any other plans that you can talk about without having to kill me um, and my audience uh, that that you see your company uh, you know going toward? So the important thing is about end to end solution. 
some of our challenges today on our go-to-market is that with respect to the things, the amazing things our system offers, it's not enough. If you really want to manufacture a, a, a fully populated, tested, working board in-house, it's not just about the PCB, right? You, you got to have additional elements. So the near future is really about making sure that the end-to-end -end solution you need would actually be received by us because sure high mix low volume but it's going to be better in the near future and then looking a little bit farther down the road it's about scaling even farther scaling farther throughput and um also increasing the range of materials because that can really, I mean, it's it, 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 it's it's a whole session thinking of what different materials. Let me just say flexible materials or support materials that can really help you create a three D which has uh, you know large spaces, empty spaces within a board. Think of of all the things that could be achieved with with that. Okay, so near future making sure the end-to-end -end solution you're getting is more complete, scaling up, and in parallel, more materials. I, I would think also, because this just happens with any technology as it matures um, and as there's competition, is you know, the price starts dropping down um, as scalability you know, rises. Um, is there a desire to, in the future, have... I'm just throwing a number out just, just for discussion's sake, have $20,000 benchtop machines that can do this? Or, or do you think um, this will always be a, a premium-priced product? Do you, do you see the ability to bring it to the masses, or is there a, a strategic, strategic advantage to um, you know, knowing you know, basically high-rent customers you know, that, that uh, so see the advantage in this? I think it's fair to say that every technology starts with something that is unique, expensive, uh, you know, early adopters with, with specific needs. Right? I mean, yeah. hey, we, we, have, we have a part that we created for L3 Harris up there on the uh, space station, the International Space Station. So it starts with that. And, you know, you could compare that to the first computers. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Who, who was that smart guy that said the, the world would need just five large? I think uh, Bill. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't remember Bill Gates said, or at least he's quoted as a saying, I can't see a scenario where 600, anyone would ever need more than 640K of RAM. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But my, po my, point is, my point is that at the moment, the near horizon, horizon is not, it's not that near anyway, but the horizon is that's perfect it and make sure that it goes into the mainstream. Then from the mainstream, we will see how it starts, you know, coming coming down. And and I'm sure it will go into the consumer level. But the process is probably as I, as I foresee it is going to be very similar to to the um, um, you know progression of others uh, innovative technologies. Sure. I mean you, you I, I hold in my hand, you don't see it, but I hold my iPhone here. Okay. That is an amazing super computer. Absolutely. Amazing, right? Yep. There you go. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, I, I would think that if this technology becomes more mainstream, which it, uh, no doubt will, it, the, the cat's out of the, you know, out of the bag, it, it, and um, it, that'll happen. The, the, the world of IoT, the world of Internet of Things, is perfect for, or you're perfect for IoT, um, particularly going back to your comment about being able to custom shape a printed circuit board. Like, why do all boards have to be this thick and completely flat? Um, you know, IoT is, you know, I always say IoT is the business of putting electronics and things that never had it before and probably don't need it. But we do it because we can do it. Uh, but we can do it better if, if we can design the electronics around the, the package as opposed to design the package around the electronics, which we do now. Um, so I, I think that the, your technology has a lot of value in so many ways, as we've already discussed, but particularly in, in uh, the way these boards can be packaged. Uh, you, the engineer, the designer is no longer limited to you know, a flat surface and... and uh, yes. Who says I have There's specific it's industries. So, sorry, please, please. No, I'm just saying that's an old rule. You've you've made that yeah. flat rule obsolete. It's, it doesn't have to be flat anymore. Yeah, I, I'd like to share a couple of examples of industries that traditionally we would not even think about. I mean, sure, when when you, you speak about IoT, it's easy because that's kind of all new. But what about the automotive industry? cars you know that was a very clear platform with the motor and engine right but today look 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 at tesla look at others it's just a they try to keep the platform as flat as possible but then everything on top of it is curved and it's all electronics communication systems electronics sensors right w what is a car now I, even the battery just control the battery. This is like, it, it's, it's a monster of every electronic advanced element you could imagine. And they got to keep it uh, looking good. <laughs> they got to make sure it, they miniaturize a lot of it. Okay. Um, I, I don't need to speak of defense. That goes without saying that those guys have that. But let's talk about drones. I mean, hey, you know, we wouldn't be speaking about drones 15 years ago. That was this science fiction thing. But drones are everywhere. Tiny ones, huge ones. Um, whether it's, you know, speaking of carry-on of humans in your near future or just those uh, Amazon drones that would pick up your yep. mail, whatever, and send it over to Drones, they need to be light. They need to be effective. Um Again, I'm giving examples for where AME technology could really fit and help uh, verticals of industries to make leaps forward if you compare what you could do with our technology on drones uh, and how you would implement the same things with traditional technology, for example. Yeah. The, the medical devices. Okay, I can go for... Oh, no, medical devices. That's, that's perfect. I mean, yeah, you know, particularly these ingestible medical devices with cameras built in. I mean, you don't want a big flat circuit board, you know, going down your throat and worse no, yet you keep coming out. Tiny. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. As we wrap up, um, there is one question that has absolutely nothing to do with, with nano dimension, but um, in looking at your bio, you're, you're kind of a serial entrepreneur. You know, this is not your first rodeo. Um, and uh, one of the companies that you founded, uh, 
just stood out, and I have to ask you about that. Milk and Honey Distillery. What's that about? Well, <laughs> okay. So um, the credit goes to another co-founder of Nano Dimension, Simon Fried, friend of mine. And uh, he actually came up with an idea just before we founded Nano Dimension. He said, you know, we live in Israel and there is not even one proper whiskey distillery. And I said, well, Simon, you know, there isn't proper whiskey distilleries pretty much anywhere aside of, uh, I don't know, Scotland, Ireland, the US. There you go. You don't yes. get them. Sure. And he said, it's about time to have one in Israel. And we hooked up with, with another co-founder of uh, the Milk and Honey Distillery. And we just decided we're going to have something we could all be proud of, which is a proper, real whiskey distillery. And, and we did. We just we just said we're going to do it. Today, it produces more than 250,000 uh, bottles. It actually wins a lot of prizes, just won uh, quite a few awards in, in recent few months. And we are exporting it to, I, I guess, 24 countries. That's Obviously, amazing. U.S. Is, is a major market, so you should give it a try. I will look my, for my it. My subjective opinion that it's pretty good, but hey. I, I will definitely look for it. Uh, you don't pick easy projects, do you? You don't pick projects with immediate returns. Uh, you know, you can't just open a distillery and sell a bottle of whiskey in, the, in a day. <laughs> There's things like aging and things like that, right? So I think, I think the key thing in life is do things you're passionate about rather than, true. you know, uh, shortcuts because... Um, yeah, you know, you, 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 we all need to bring on some, a salary to live. But if we're not happy with what we're doing, it, it, it's pretty difficult. I mean, so as long as you're passionate about it, you do it. And I, I'm pretty passionate about whiskey and also about transform, transformative technologies. So Yeah, well, that, that, that I, I see shows. how it's linked. So clearly a bottle of uh, milk and honey uh, whiskey uh, is included with every... Um, dragonfly system, right? Well, now that you mention it, I guess it is. Now it is. <laughs> you heard it here first. Heard it here first. Uh, Amit, thank thank you so much for being my guest today. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, your your technology is fascinating. As I said earlier, it's not often um, I, I get to talk to someone so early in in the revolutionary stage uh, of a product and. Um, you know, being part of this industry, I can certainly see a lot of benefits for this product. And I'm going to keep an eye on you guys and watch as as the technology evolves, as, as the scale uh, increases, and uh, as the uh, potential customer base uh, continues to broaden um, beyond you know what arguably was probably a a few you know people who who could afford it and, and could benefit from it to a, a much wider. Uh, more mainstream uh, uh, base and maybe uh, when the last fab shop somewhere in Asia shuts down uh, I'll remember this conversation and this is the beginning of that uh, that disruptive technology so thanks for being my guest today I wish you and your team all I don't think I need to wish you luck I think you've already you've already demonstrated that but I, I wish you all the success in the world thank you Mike thank you very much Thanks for listening or watching the Reliability Matters podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so many more. 
Also, be sure to check out my other podcasts, including the Concept to Creation podcast, where I feature conversations with entrepreneurs within the electronic assembly space. And as we discussed earlier at the beginning of the show, the Innovations and Technology podcast, where we discuss innovative products within our industry. All three shows are also available in video format. Check out the Reliability Matters or Concept to Creation or Innovations and Technology podcasts on YouTube. Just search the show's name and you can find all three shows. Or go to MikeConrad.com. That's Conrad with the K. All three shows also appear there. Again, thanks for being part of my podcast family. I appreciate you being here. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy. And of course, keep doing it right. See you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.